everyone. I want to thank you all for the very enthusiastic response I received to last week's episode celebrating the magnificent, the marvelous Adele Addison on the occasion of her 97th birthday. I'm so pleased that so many of you heard what I heard about what makes her such an extraordinary singer. On the housekeeping front, I'd like to thank my newest supporter, Peter, who just the other day pledged his support for the podcast on Patreon. For those who want to follow suit, you know the old saw by now. Please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, where for any amount that you pledge from $2 on up per month or $25 per year on up, you will gain access to all of the bonus episodes that I have thus far posted, including a very special one posted just a few short days ago about Eleanor Stieber, a follow-up to the episode that I posted two weeks ago. We are heading out on a very short vacation at the crack of dawn on Wednesday morning, so I'm recording this in advance to take with me. It may seem like a flippant frivolous topic, but it really isn't. I think it's one that you will find very interesting. I sure hope so. Anyway, thank you again for your enthusiasm and for your support. And now here's Madame Muzio ready to lead us in to yet another episode of Counter Melody. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. And now, this week's episode. At some point over the past few months, I remarked upon the number of singers that I have featured in episodes on this podcast, but who had very, very limited Met careers. Just a few of them off the top of my head. Igor Gorin, one performance. Gérard Souzet, one performance. Margaret Tynes, three performances. Mehdi Mesplay, four performances. Sylvia Shash, three performances. Barry McDaniel, seven performances. Carmen Balthrop, five performances. Heather Harper, nine performances. Peter Schreier, eight performances. Even those artists who were so significant because they represented important firsts. Marian Anderson, the first black singer at the Met. Robert McFerrin, the first black male singer. Gloria Davy, the first black Aida in actuality, had very limited Met careers. Marian Anderson sang nine performances, Robert McFerrin only ten, and Gloria Davy only fifteen. Even singers who made such an enormous impact 
Figures like Magda Oliveiro sang only 12 performances at the Met, and Teresa Berganza, whom we recently featured in a memorial tribute, sang only 15 performances at the Met. I have an incredible list of singers that I have compiled who sang fewer than 10 performances at the Met. These were world-class singers, in many cases, some of the most famous and celebrated singers in the world, and yet their Met careers were barely there. So today, I'm going to present the first of two episodes on this topic. There are so many potential reasons for these things, and I'm not going to get so much into the how or why. It might have had to do with singers finding the house uncongenial or having an unsuccessful debut, regardless of their prowess elsewhere in the world. It might have been an inability to get along with management. A lot of it might have had to do with Rudolf Bing. It could have been because they were house singers elsewhere in the world. Not everyone found themselves in a position like Christa Ludwig did, where the Met was one of her home houses, or like Edda Moser did, where she was a cherished guest over the course of a number of seasons. So let's start today with surely one of the most important sopranos of the 20th century, Virginia Zayani. Do you know how many performances she sang at the Met? Two. Well, two sort of because she also sang in a concert performance of Vespri before it was actually performed at the Met. By the time she made her pair of performances as Violetta in 1966, reviewers were not terribly kind to her. But then it might have been that she represented a certain type of singer that simply was not generally engaged at the Met. Leila Genser that extraordinary Turkish soprano, never sang at the Met. That is a completely different topic, those singers who never even appeared once at the Met. But we're going to talk about those who had, as I say, very limited careers at the Met. And we're going to start with the great Virginia Zayani. Her career was centered primarily in Italy. But in 1960, she jumped in at Covent Garden at really a moment's notice and ailing Joan Sutherland as Violetta. A recording of that extraordinary performance has been preserved, and I'm going to frame the episode with portions of the big Act One Shena. So let's start with her performance of A Forse Lui. Nello Santi, who was, of course, a fixture at the Met, is the conductor in this 1960 performance. <laughs> Yeah, so 
Now I'm going to present a quartet of extraordinary sopranos whose careers were primarily centered in Europe and who continue to be quite prominent in our awareness because of their representation on recordings. First is Irmgard Seyfried, the extraordinarily communicative German soprano who lived from 1919 to 1988. She appeared exactly five times at the Met over the course of only five weeks, singing Susanna, one of her signature roles, in Le Nozze di Figaro, one of her signature roles. Interestingly, another singer who debuted in the same performance was the Swiss soprano Lisa della Casa, who became a fixture at the Met. I adore so much about Irmgard Seyfried, and I promise you, promise you, that I will present her in a full episode sometime in the upcoming season, because she is such a special case, a fascinating singer with some pretty glaring vocal flaws but a spontaneity and an effervescence that is virtually unmatched in any other singer. I consider her real forte to have been leader, but she also was an extraordinary Mozart and Strauss singer. I'm going to play for you an excerpt of a studio recording she did of the wonderful Mozart aria from Il Re Pastore, Lamero Saro Costante. What's special about this performance is that it's Seyfried's husband, the violinist Wolfgang Schneiderhan, who plays the violin obbligato in this 1952 recording. Oh, my God. 
Another one of my very favorite singers of all time is Gundula Janowitz. And again, this is an artist who means so much to me. I grew up listening to her records. Her timbre ingratiated itself into my very being. There are some people who find her sound to be really strange, really strained, really peculiar. To me, it is like the voice of an angel. And I'm not the only one who has felt that way. But her Met career was extremely limited. She was celebrated the world over as a Mozart Strauss singer. But did she sing any Mozart or Strauss at the Met? Nope. What did she sing? Six performances of Sieglinde in the Herbert von Karajan-led ring cycle. That's it. She was scheduled to appear in Freischutz, but there was a strike at the Met, and the season opening was delayed, and she ended up being replaced in the scheduled performances of Freischutz by the stalwart mezzo-soprano Pilar Lorengar, another singer that I adore and who exuded a personal and vocal and interpretive warmth that was unmatched. But back to Janowitz. I'm going to present her today in some Mozart. This is a 1970 recording, not so well known as many of her others. This is of the opening scena of the Princess Ilia from Mozart's Idomeneo. Padre Germani, addio. The conductor, John Pritchard, leads the Wiener Symphonica. It so happens that on the 2nd of August, she is celebrating her 85th birthday. So let this little moment of Gundula double as a special birthday tribute.
From a later generation, I present to you the extraordinary Yulia Varady, a singer with a very interesting pedigree. She is of Hungarian ancestry, but she grew up in Romania. She appeared in one production at the Met, seven performances of Don Elvira in a 1978 production of Don Giovanni, which featured a crackerjack cast and was actually telecast in March 1978. She was a very idiosyncratic singer, one who took on roles that were several sizes too big, and yet her technique, however specific to her voice and her instrument, always served her in very good stead. I think she's a supreme Mozart singer, but she sang everything, and when I say everything, I mean from Leonore in Fidelio to Abigaile and Violetta, Lisa in Picdam, I mean, you name it, she did it, and did it with enormous skill, and always such profound connection to the drama. This is what made her Don Elvira so interesting. I'm going to play for you something from the period in which I'm focusing, that is 1950 to 1975. This is a live recording from Munich, we just heard an excerpt from the role of Ilya in Idomeneo. Now we're going to hear Varadi in a selection from her role in that opera, that of the vengeful and jealous Princess Elettra. This is her lyrical moment in Act Two, Idol Mio, and the performance took place in Munich in the summer of 1975. And the conductor is that redoubtable figure. Wolfgang Savalisch.
Next comes another singer, one of the most exquisite voices that ever appeared on the operatic stage. But at the Met, only eight performances of Elsa in Lohengrin, a signature role of hers. I'm speaking of the German soprano Elisabeth Grimmer, who lived from 1911 to 1986. Her Met performances took place in the year 1967, many of them on the Met tour. In fact, it looks like she only sang two performances of Elsa in the house. The others were on tour with the Met in the spring of 1967. Grimmer had, I submit to you, the perfect Mozart Strauss voice, and she also excelled in the lighter Wagner parts, such as Elsa, and as Agathe in Der Freischütz, an opera which has not been performed at the Met in a half century, and which really only has a firm hold on the repertoire here in Germany. Grimmer had a voice with bloom on it that would just knock you over with its beauty. It has a burnished shimmer to it that simply amazes me. I'm going to play for you the second of Agatha's arias from Der Freischütz. This is a classic 1959 recording that was made with Josef Kalbert leading the Berlin Philharmonic. Kalbert was one of an endless number of great conductors who never appeared at the Met. Though, of course, his outings at Bayreuth, just for one example, were legendary. Here is Und ob die Wolke sie verhülle, Agatha's exquisite Cavatina from the second act of Der Freischütz. And I promise you, you have never heard more gorgeous high notes than you will hear from Elisabeth Grömer in this excerpt. Ich bin in dem Zufall, in 
While we're on the topic of Wagner, let's consider some of the great Wagnerian singers who barely appeared at the Met. I'm thinking of two in particular right now, Marta Mödel, the great Zwischenfach singer who excelled in such roles as Isolde, Brunhilde, and in particular Kundry. Also, the light-voiced German Heldon tenor Wolfgang Windgassen. I'm stretching it a little bit with Marta Mödel because she actually made 12 appearances at the Met in a variety of operas. Walküre, Goethe-Demmerung, Tristan, Parsifal, and Siegfried. So all of her big roles, but in such small quantities. She made a big impact, however, in a very brief period. All but two of these performances took place in the 1957-58 season, over the course of a mere two months. Her final appearances at the Met were in March of 1960. Wolfgang Windgassen appeared in only seven performances at the Met, all of these within the same period in which Marta Mödel was making the majority of her appearances. And in fact, they sang together on a number of those occasions. I believe in both Siegfried and Walküre. The reviews of his debut were uncomplimentary. He was, again, an idiosyncratic singer who perhaps by nature did not possess a fully Wagnerian Heldon tenor voice. But please consider, he's the Siegfried on the first complete ring conducted by George Schulte, and his contribution is not insubstantial, although there were always naysayers. By the time he recorded those in the 60s, he was already in his early 50s. But what Windgassen had was an extraordinarily strong connection, again, with drama and words. The same way that Marta Mödel did, and the same way that their colleague Astrid Varnay also did. By the way, if you didn't know, Astrid Varnay was born in the United States. Everybody thinks she was a foreign artist, but she was born in the U.S., and of course her Met career was really substantial and extended to character parts like Clutemnestra and Mrs. Begbick in the first Met performances of Mahagoni, the same kind of role that Marta Mödel, once her voice curdled, if you will, or simply disappeared, also sang. Both of those women had extraordinarily long careers, the majority of them actually singing character parts. Maybe there wasn't room for Marta Mödel at the Met. Maybe she didn't want to sing there. I don't know what the details are of this. I'm merely commenting. But I have something very special to play for you. That is Wolfgang Windgassen and Marta Mödel together as Tristan and Isolde. And this is a live performance in London in 1954 of Act II of Tristan, led by the eminent British conductor John Barbaroli. Now, John Barbaroli, of course, also had his own very complicated relationship with music making in the city of New York. For those of you who don't remember, he was, for a very short period of time, the music director of the New York Philharmonic. He served as Toscanini's successor from the years 1936 to 1943, but it was not a friendly or a successful association. Anyway, that doesn't mean that he wasn't an extraordinary musician 
and conductor. There are a number of live and studio recordings of Mödel and Windgassen singing this music together. But this one, even though the sound is a little less than ideal, represents something so extraordinary that I really just had to share it with you. This is just a portion of the Liebesnacht duet. And both of these artists are in exceptional voice and the music making is of the highest level possible.
Now we've been mentioning a lot of Richard Strauss and we haven't heard any yet. And I'm going to present some Strauss for you, but not by a soprano, but instead by a bass. We're going to hear Oskar Cervenka, the Austrian bass who lived from 1924 to the year 2000 in one of his signature roles, Baron Ochs in Der Rosenkavalier. This is one of two parts that he sang at the Met. His debut took place the day after Christmas in 1959, and he sang one, two, three, four additional performances of Baron Ochs, as well as three performances of Rocco in Fidelio. We're going to hear that delicious excerpt from the end of Act Two of Rosenkavalier, in which the quote-unquote wounded Baron Ochs is comforting himself by singing his little waltz. He's confronted here by the Italian schemer, Annina, who brings him message of a secret assignation that he does not realize is going to be his downfall. The mezzo-soprano, who sings Annina, is a singer who never performed at the Met, but nevertheless was a very significant singer indeed. That is the British mezzo-soprano Nancy Evans, who had a significant association with Benjamin Britten, who composed his song cycle, A Charm of Lullabies, for her. He also wrote the role of Nancy in Albert Herring for her. She shared the role of Lucretia in the first performances of The Rape of Lucretia with the great Kathleen Ferrier. After her divorce from her first husband, Walter Legg, she went on to marry the director and librettist Eric Crozier, who wrote so many works with Benjamin Britten. So not only are we hearing performers whose Met careers were mere flashes in the pan, we're also hearing singers today who simply never appeared there. This performance took place in the summer of 1959 at Gleinborn and featured Met stalwarts Régine Crespin as the Marshalin, Elisabeth Söderström as Octavian, and Anneliese Rothenberger as Sophie. They all had significant Met careers, as opposed to Chevenka, who nevertheless was very well received at the Met, especially as Baron Ochs. This performance is conducted by the German maestro Leopold Ludwig. <laughs> Thank you. 
Here's a soprano that I take every opportunity to present to my listeners whenever it is at all possible. That is the great American jugendlich dramatisch soprano Arlene Saunders. Her performing career was very much centered in the city of Hamburg, where for many years she was a member of the ensemble there. But in April 1976, she finally made her Met debut, a belated Met debut at that, singing three performances of Eva in Die Meistersinger. This was, again, one of her signature roles. What's interesting is that Arlene Saunders did appear at the Metropolitan Opera in 1967, but in a guest performance with the Hamburg Opera. This was a performance of The Rake's Progress in which she sang And True Love. This was also the performance that introduced Tatiana Troianos to the Metropolitan nearly 10 years before her debut, while Tatiana, of course, went on to become rather the house mezzo up until her untimely death. Arlene Saunders' appearances were limited to the Andrew Love and the Eva in Meistersinger. Some intrepid soul had his microphone and tape recorder with him in the house for the performance of Rake's Progress, which, by the way, was conducted by Charles McCarris, who conducted on and off at the Met beginning in 1972 through his final performances 30 years later in January 2002. All in all, however, he only appeared around 60 times in eight different operas. But here is Arlene Saunders singing the Shana that closes Act One of Rake's Progress. No word from Tom. The sound may be a little spotty with some very 
up-close-and-personal coughing from time to time, but she is an exquisite singer, and I'm so excited to get to share her with you yet again. And many thanks to whoever that anonymous person was who recorded this performance. Saunders was one of many, many U.S. American singers who made her career primarily in German-speaking Europe. Another one of those singers was Felicia Weathers, whom I have also featured on numerous occasions on Counter Melody. Miss Weathers was double cast with Teresa Stratas 
in a new Met production of Queen of Spades, which was first performed in 1965. Over the course of the next year and a half, she appeared in only six performances of the role of Lisa at the Met. Her debut was considered to be premature, and she wasn't terribly well received, although there was never any question about the exceptional quality of her voice. Now, mind you, Felicia Weathers went on to sing many performances of Zalome, in which she made quite a splash. It's interesting because she was also one of these artists who had a recording contract with London Decca Records, and often these companies, Decca in particular, would really make a major attempt to plug their artists into roles in the big houses. From Felicia Weathers' debut on Decca Records, I'm going to offer you an excerpt of her Elisabetta in Don Carlo. This recording also was made in 1967, and we hear the aria Non Pianger Mia Compagna. This was one of a handful of recital recordings of opera and song repertoire that she made over the course of four or five years. There has been a great deal of kerfuffle in the news as of late surrounding a certain 
Russian soprano attempting the role of Aida. You all know who I'm talking about, and my general policy on the podcast is if I don't like a singer, I prefer to act as if they simply don't exist. I'm certainly not going to mention this woman by name, but there is a different Russian Aida who made an enormous splash in her debut Met appearances in the year 1961. I am talking about the great, the extraordinary, the exceptional Galina Vishnevskaya, who appeared on the New York musical scene in the late fall of 1961. She was rapturously received as Aida, a role which she sang four times there. She also appeared in one performance of Madame Butterfly, in which she sang Chocho San in Russian, and the rest of the cast performed in Italian. Unlike the other Russian soprano that I was discussing, Vishnevskaya and her husband, the cellist and conductor Mstislav Rostropovich, were not in bed with the Russian dictators of the day, and they found themselves stripped of their citizenship and banished from Russia. It was under those conditions that Vishnevskaya made her final Met appearance, a single performance of Tosca in March 1975. I think it would be safe to call her one of those singers, however small the number of her appearances at the Met, nevertheless made a huge and lasting impact. The previous year, in March of 1960, an extraordinary Armenian baritone made his single appearance at the Met, also in Aida, singing the role of Amonazro. This is the extraordinarily beautifully voiced Pavel Lizitsyan, who many consider to have possessed one of the most exquisite baritone voices of all time. This was a performance in which Lizitsyan sang his role in Russian. His single performance at the Met was preceded by a recital at Carnegie Hall, where he made an enormously positive impression. I'm going to present both of these venerable Russian artists, stars of the Bolshoi. In the big scene from Act 3 of Aida, this is a live performance from the Bolshoi, conducted by Alexander Melik Pashaev, in which both artists once again sing in Russian. Galina Vishnevskaya, Pavel Lizitsyan, two of the extraordinary voices to come out of that troubled country. Yeah. 
Since we're on the topic of exceptional baritones, I want to present two to you, two Italian baritones, who each, in his own way, had an extraordinary career, but certainly not at the Metropolitan Opera. First off is Piero Cappuccilli, one of the most venerable Verdi baritones of the past century. He sang with such elegance such expression and such incredibly long line with a very fine technique and an exceptional voice. But his Met career, and I believe this was more or less by his choice, was so limited as to have consisted only of one single performance. This was as Germain in a performance in March of 1960. With the catastrophic death of the Met's house Verdi baritone Leonard Warren on stage 
during a performance of Forza del Destino, a few short weeks before that, the Met found themselves scurrying around to fill his shoes for performances in which he had been scheduled to sing. I don't remember the exact details, but this was Piero Cappuccilli's one and only performance at the Met. Although he did return to New York on occasion to sing in concert operas, I believe he did a Gioconda under the baton of Yves Queller, for instance, and I think a number of other performances. I'm going to offer you today a 1969 recording from Rome in which Cappuccilli sings an extraordinarily beautiful death scene of his character Rodrigo in Verdi's Don Carlo. Thomas Shippers, who is another conductor who was heard quite frequently at the Met, leads the forces of Italian radio in Rome on the 30th of April, 1969. Here are Rodrigo's dying phrases as beautifully intoned by Piero Cappuccilli.
Another Italian baritone of extraordinary ability whose career took place more or less simultaneously with Capuccilli's. This is the baritone Gian Giacomo Guelfi, who lived from 1924 to 2012. He made his American debut at Lyric Opera in 1954, a few years after making his stage debut as Regoletto. He was known particularly for his appearances in Verdi's operas. He had a voice of such gargantuan, granitic quality. I would almost put him in a different vocal camp than Capuccilli. I'd almost group him alongside someone like Ettore Bastianini, for example. I don't know, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but that's my impression. For some reason, Guelfi is only known to conoscenti of the voice, but he is an extraordinary singer. He made a belated Met debut in 1970 and only sang two performances there within a week of each other in February 1970. One as Scarpia in Tosca and one as Jack Rance in La Fanciulla del West. And it is as Jack Rance in Fanciulla that we are going to hear Gian Giacomo Guelfi right now. Just two weeks ago, I presented to you Eleanor Stieber in her extraordinary appearances at the Maggio Musicale as Mini. On that occasion, her Jack Rance was none other than Guelfi. And in fact, it is that very performance that we are going to hear right now. Guelfi sings his confession of love to Mini. Mini dalla mia casa son partito. And because you can never get enough Eleanor Stieber, and as a placeholder for the upcoming second part of my Eleanor Stieber tribute, I'm going to follow that with Stieber's response to Guelfi, in which she gently rebuffs him and tells him that she's waiting for true love to come, true love such as she observed between her parents when she was a child.
It's time to wind up this episode. I have to tell you, I have a lot more extraordinary singers for you who barely sang at the Met coming up next week. I promised you we would end as we began with the extraordinary Violetta of the Romanian soprano Virginia Zeani. Here she is in that same exceptional performance of Violetta from Covent Garden in 1960. This is the Sempre Libera, in which we hear the Scottish tenor William McAlpine. Yet another singer who never appeared at the Metropolitan Opera. Yeah. 
dear friends, stay well, keep cool, and keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Grundlauf.